The following message is given by Walt Alexander, lead pastor of Trinity Grace Church in Athens, Tennessee. For more information about Trinity Grace, please visit us at trinitygraceathens.com. Genesis 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you for if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father alive? Do you have another brother? What we have told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. Verse 9, I will, pl- I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This is the word of God. You know, not every evening calls for one and all to turn on the TV. But tonight is one of those nights in America. That's right, there's a wonderful reason to turn on the television tonight, to pull up your place on the couch, because the latest episode of All Creatures Great and Small comes out. That's right, it's about the only thing on television worth watching, though our family is smarting a little bit from last week's episode still. It's based on the books of the 1930s veterinarian named James Harriet from Yorkshire, England. Nearly all of the episodes are good, but one episode from last season really gripped me. 
It revolved around Miss Hall, the kitchen help for Mr. Harriet and the veterinary practice. In a past life, Miss Hall had been married and had a son named Edward. When her husband returned from the war, this is set in England, so she's talking about the Great War in 19, early 1900s. When her husband returned from the war, he began drinking and pushed everyone, including herself and the boy, away. To make matters worse, when her son, this is Miss Hall's son, Edward, was a teenager, she was working in another home as the kitchen help in another home when her son stole something from the house. She knew he did it, and she refused to lie for him, and she did the only thing she knew she could do in the, in, the, in the time and called the authorities. Her son Edward was taken from the home. He was throwed, thrown into juvie, a juvenile detention center, where he was attacked by bullies and made to hate the world. Years have gone by since then. She writes Ed, Edward regularly. That's one of the things running through the season. She's writing her son, but he never responds. She sends him packages at Christmas, and they come back, return. She knows he's angry. She knows he doesn't want anything to do with her, but she longs to see her boy and tell him how much she loves him. Edward is now in the Air Force for the Second World War after 1939. Surprisingly, on his way back from basic training, training, he writes his mom and says, I would like to meet you at a train station. And that's the episode we're in, or, we, you know, that I'm talking about. Miss Hall is thrilled but incredibly nervous, as you would expect. She longs to see her son but doesn't know if he'll forgive her or welcome her back into his life. She busies herself. That's one of the things we see. She's getting things ready, gathering her thoughts, arranging for someone to cover things in the house, even making its favorite cookies. She makes her way to the station and begins to wait. She looks around, she takes a seat, waits for hours, double-taking when every serviceman arrives, but never sees Edward. She begins to wonder, will he ever come? Will I ever see him again? Was it all just a ruse to get my hopes up? In our passage this morning, Joseph must have felt similar. Years have gone by in Joseph's life. Remember, we found him as a boy at 17 years old when he had these wonderful dreams. Then his brothers sold him into slavery where he suffered for 10 to 12 years. Then at 30, he was raised up second in command in all of Egypt. The famine sets in. After seven years of plenty, the famine sets in. He stored up food through all the years of plenty, and now all the world begins making their way to Egypt. Unbeknownst to, to Joseph, but surely expected, his brothers are now making the month-long trek to Egypt. Joseph is 39 now. He hasn't seen his brothers in 22 years, but they're making their way to Egypt and will soon arrive. The questions should and, and would fill our mind. What will happen? Will Joseph pounce on them and make them pay for their crimes? Will Jacob lose 10 more sons in addition to the son he already lost? Will the brothers continue to hate Joseph? 
Will the brothers come clean? Will, will, Joseph cut, will they come clean to him? Will Joseph welcome them back? Will they welcome him into his presence? Will these chapters unpack one of the most surprising and staggering stories of repentance and reconciliation in all of Holy Scripture? And wonderfully, they remind us of all that God has done for us in Christ. In a word where we're going to strive to live at peace with all, remembering you were reconciled to God while you were his enemy. <laughs> strive to live at peace with all, remembering you were reconciled to God while you were his enemy. We're going to trace this out to look at the development in three, the three major characters here. First, Jacob turns from self-reliance to trust. Jacob turns from self-reliance to trust. In the first scene in our passage, which is what I read this morning, it seems Jacob has returned to his old self. Now we remember Jacob as a young man, cool and calculated with his older brother, or well, slightly older brother Esau. He does not trust God. Jacob takes matters into his own hands again and again, making sure everything happens to the way he wants. One of those people that will not play second fiddle to anybody. He cheats his brother Esau out of the birthright and blessing, cheats his uncle Laban out of possession. When he returns home, he, he prepares to pay off Esau with a big bribe before the Lord intervenes. The only person Jacob seems to have depended on his whole life is himself. But like it will happen with you, at some point, it won't be enough. The famine has set in. No amount of wealth before the famine will enable Jacob to survive it with his family. A year or so into the famine, Jacob sent his sons, all but Benjamin, to Egypt to buy grain. That's what happened in chapter 42. They've eaten it all. And Jacob says in 1 and 2, as we read, go again and buy a little food. Now, Judah immediately speaks up and reminds Jacob of what happened the first time they went. When they went to Egypt the first time, they encountered Joseph, even though he concealed himself and they didn't know him. Joseph accused them of being spies. He questioned them and threw them into prison. Three days later, he, he, he sent them all out. He let them go home, but he kept Simeon. And then Joseph said, you will not see my face again unless you bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. Jacob has lost one son in, in Joseph. He has just lost another son in Simeon. But look at his response in verse 6. Now, Israel, we remember his name changed, Jacob and Israel. Uh, Genesis, we use both. And Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another son? Why do you treat me so badly? We're, we're beginning to see a bit of Jacob's heart. Jacob only cares about the son he loves. Jake, just like jo Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, so Jacob loved Benjamin more than any of his other sons. S Simeon is, for all intents and purposes, dead. But Jacob's only worried about the threat of losing Benjamin. Even better yet, Jacob's only worried about the sadness that's coming on him. Why do you treat me so badly? It's an incredibly sad picture. Jacob only cares for himself. 
Now he feels invincible when he's taken matters into his own hands and taken hold of what he thinks he deserves. But he feels sorry for himself when he's stuck and not getting what he thinks he deserves. He doesn't have a low self-esteem. Surely the shrink would diagnose him that way. He actually has a high self-esteem. He thinks the only thing that matters in the universe is himself. One of the things the scriptures would help us see is the proudest person in the world is not necessarily the one strutting down the end zone on Sunday night. Or the unrighteous judge who rules contrary to the law of God. Or the hedge fund manager cashing in on the losses of the poor. It's actually the person in the corner licking their wounds. Feeling sorry for themselves. Unable to be happy when anyone is happy and they aren't. Unable to be sad when anyone's sad and they aren't. So Jacob's in this sad state, and despite Jacob's protest, Judah makes it very clear there's no option. Judah says the only way for our family to live and not die is for Benjamin to go with us to buy grain. Jacob finally relents. Judah says, I'll, I'll, I'll be the pledge, you know, you can take my life, I'll be the pledge. And Judah, or Jacob sends him out. He says, take, take this present, take, take a little choice fruits and this present down, balm and honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Praise the Lord. I still love almonds. Take double the money. Remember last time, they gave them their money back. So he says, take double the money this time. Verse 13, take also your brother and go to the man. And then he prays over them. May God Almighty grant you before the man and may he send you back. Grant you mercy before the man, send you back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Sounds like Esther. What we're meant to see is that Jacob lets him go. Jacob has always taken matters into his own hand. He received the blessing because he wouldn't let go. His finest moment's actually right here. Jacob has always depended on himself. Jacob's a self-made man, always driven by himself. Uh, Stephen Charnock in his wonderful book, The Existence and Attributes of God, talks about the nature of sin. We have this quote for you. He says, sin in its own nature is nothing else but a willing according to self and contrary to the will of God. The great controversy. You know the controversy today? It's not on the headline. The great controversy between God and man has been whether he or they shall be God. Whether his reason or theirs, his will or theirs, shall be the guiding principle. In so many ways, this is the story of Jacob's life. It's been this wrestle between his will, God's will, his will, God's will. And now he's cornered. The severe famine comes down on him and he has to turn from self-reliance to trust. 
Sinclair Ferguson healthily says, in order to gain the son he lost, he must entrust all his sons into the care of God. He finally lets go. Often the question of whether we will turn from self-reliance to trust comes to a single point in our lives. In the Lord of the Rings, Gollum looks to get back the ring that Bilbo Baggins found. He calls that ring his precious, my precious. I'm not going to do his voice, but you know his voice. (laughs) My precious. He loves the ring, but he hates it. He wants it, but wants to destroy it. Often self-reliance comes down to a single point just like that. Something we love or hate. Perhaps this morning the Lord would say to you, will you give up the bottle? Will you throw away the vape? Will you spit out the dip? Will you delete social media? Will you stop running to food for comfort and stop throwing it up for control? Will you relinquish the angry words that get the response you want? Will you release the dreams of what you wanted and stop working back from them? Will you forgive yourself for what God has already forgiven? Will you let go of your money and trust the Lord to provide? Will you turn over the keys of your life in so many ways? Like you think what's coming next in the Bible. We we have this massive showdown between Pharaoh and Moses, well, in many ways, that's the way our hearts are. The Lord says, let it go, and we bear down, you know, like we double clench. Let it go. What's your precious? Will you let it go? Jacob lost his son, Joseph, and now he's holding on to Benjamin with all his might, but he finally releases the boy. In so many ways, this this is a picture of parenting. The the goal of parenting is not always having your kids ever under your watchful eye. Well, the goal is to kick them out of the house, you know. The goal is to to entrust them to the Lord. I love that. So Jacob turns from self-reliance to trust. The brothers, point two, turn from disgust and deceit to repentance. The brothers turn from disgust and deceit to repentance. That's going to cover quite a bit of verses. The next scene describes the brothers making their way to to Egypt. Look in verse 15. It says very clearly, that so, so the men, that is the brothers, took this present. They took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. They obey their father. These little rascals, you know, they obey their father. And they begin making their way down Jerusalem. Now, when they arrive, Joseph sees them, and he tells the steward of the house, take them into my house and prepare a lavish feast. Now, the brothers do not know at this point that Joseph is the governor of Egypt. They don't know. They knew he sold to the Midianites, but they don't know that he is in power in Egypt. They also do not know that they are caught up in an elaborate plan of Joseph's. Now, The first time they went down to Egypt, which is covered in the previous chapter, 10 of the brothers went down on the first trip. You know, they immediately bowed down before Joseph. And we would think that's the answer to the dream. But Joseph knew the answer. The dream was that all of his brothers would bow down. 
So Joseph concocts this plan to bring his other brother down, to bring Benjamin down. Now, now at first, he takes Simeon right before their eyes to think, surely they'll come back to get Simeon. But he knows those rascals too well. They left him already. And so he puts money in the top of their sacks. So he gives them back their money, so they walk away, and they, they open up their sacks. They say, surely, what is God doing to us? Well, what Joseph is doing and working under God's providence is to make it very clear they cannot come down without their younger brother, Benjamin. So the boys arrive in the midst of this elaborate plan as they make their way to Egypt. And the, the month-long journey to Egypt is told in a single verse, and the rest of this chapter and the next is cover, covers just a few moments. The brothers arrive, and they're immediately invited into Joseph's house. I commend this whole chapter to you. I wish I could read it, all of it, but you should this afternoon. Actually, tonight. Just turn off the TV and read it tonight. The brothers arrive, they're invited into Joseph's house. They're afraid. They assume they're going to be arrested. Remember, they, they had double the money with them when they left last time. They assume they're going to be arrested. The, the steward of the house is going to take them and throw them in the pit. He's already thrown them in there once. He's going to throw them in the pit for, for taking grain without paying. But look what the steward says in, 40, in, in verse 23, 43-23. He says, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. So he's saying, we received your money. And what he's doing, we don't know completely because he is a part of the plot. Now, would they have given the money had they not been taken into Joseph's house? We don't know. The narrator leaves us wondering. But when they offer to give back the money, Simeon is released. Look at the rest of that verse. Then, after they make this offer, then he brought Simeon out to them. After they wash up and the feast is prepared, Joseph arrives. The scene unfolds very slowly. The brothers bring him their present. They bow down. Look at verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present. It must have been a massive present. They brought it into the house. They brought him the present that they had with them and bowed down to the ground. The dream, beloved, the dream is fulfilled. Joseph dreamed that all his brothers would bow down to him. So here they are in Egypt, all bowing down to him now. Joseph immediately asks about his father. He says, or their father is what he says, but he's really asking about his. And he says that he knows his father is old. He knows that the famine is severe. He says, is your father well? That's the same word for peace. Is he experiencing shalom? Is he experiencing blessing, prosperity? Is he well? Is he alive? They say yes. They bow down to him again. As if the whole scene has overwhelmed him, he finally looks up and sees Benjamin. Look in verse 29, and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother? Greets him unlike all the one, others of whom you spoke to me. God be gracious to you, my son. 
Look at verse 30. He hurried out for his compassion, grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. He weeps again. On the first trip, Joseph wept when he heard his brothers talking about him and how they heard his cries for mercy and they didn't open their heart. And now he weeps because he hasn't seen his little brother, his baby brother in 22 years. He washes his face and tells them to serve the food. The brothers and Joseph are eating. The last time Joseph was with his brothers as they ate, he was stuck in the pit, begging for mercy. Now they're all eating. They're eating separately, though. Egyptians cannot eat with Hebrews, and he has not revealed himself yet. They're seated before him in birth order. So you're, you're eating with the king. You know, they're seated before him at some sort of royal, royal table. Seated before him, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. It's a great feast. It's the midst of a famine. They slaughter an animal and they throw this great feast. These boys are having the time of their lives. They look at one another. Verse 33, amazed. Blown away. They, they must have been wondering, what's going on? Why are we being treated? Why are we singled out? Why are we brought into Joseph? How, all the world's coming to Egypt. Why is he bringing us in here and treating us so lavishly? Joseph's still not sure he can trust him, so he tests him again by serving Benjamin five times more food. Look in verse 34, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. But they don't get jealous. Look what it says next. And they drank and were merry with him. They're not angry anymore have the brothers changed now the narrator's been carefully talking about what's going on in the brother's heart when they're arrested for the first time they admit their guilt that's what they're talking about when Joseph was in the room and they said they admitted we this must be happening because of what we did to Joseph because we, we 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 closed our ears to his cries for mercy this must be why they their hearts were distressed later when they discover the money at the top of their sacks as they're making their way back to Jerusalem or, or back to the Middle East uh, uh, to Israel, they tremble and say to one another, what has God done? So they're, they're distressed, they're trembling. When they're invited into Joseph's house, they're afraid. But Joseph knows true change is more than a feeling. It's more than a feeling of guilt or sorrow or fear. And so Joseph arranges one final test 
to see if they've changed. Joseph tells the steward of the house to fill the men's sack with food and to put their money back in the top and to put his silver cup that they'd all drank out of that night into Benjamin's sack. Look in verse 44, verse 3. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away on their donkeys. The sun is rising, just like it did on Esau as he went, or Jacob as he went back to meet Esau. This is going to be a day of great revealing. Everything that is hidden, just like the day of judgment, everything that is hidden will be revealed. Everything that is dark will be covered with light. And first it begins with the brothers. While they're not far from the house, they're, they're traveling out. They think all is good. We had a great night last night. And the men, Joseph's men overtake them. And they say, why have you repaid evil for good? Why have you taken Joseph's silver cup? So the boys are caught. They're surrounded. No way. We didn't take anything from this house. If you find the cup among any of us, we will be your servants, and the one who has the cup will die. But Joseph's men sharpen the test even more. They say, he who is found with the cup shall be our servant. But the rest of you can go free. Look in verse 43, verse 11 and 12. Then each man, look how carefully it tells each of these details. Each man lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack and he searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. What's going on? Joseph is arranging the same test as before. Will they leave their brother in Egypt just like they did before? Will they let another brother go down while the rest of them go free. Look at verse 13. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. They didn't leave him. They all go back. Joseph is waiting when they arrive. They fall down before him again. That's the third time they've referenced them falling down before him, uh, underlining the fact that Joseph's dreams were true. They were doubled. So they're, they're completely true. It's the will of God. And Joseph, God has put him in that place. And then Judah, Judah speaks up and says, what can we say? What can we do to make things right? He's talking like a repentant man. How can we clear this up? What We are your servants. Do to us whatever you must. But Joseph presses the temptation and the test even further. Look at verse 17. Far be it from me that I should do so to make all of you servants. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Now peace is another word that runs through this passage. Will they accept a false peace, a fake peace, like a lot of repentant people 
do in their appearance of repentance? Or will they be truly repentant? And Judah refuses. Look at verse 18. Then Judah went up to him. Judah could not not speak. He said, the same brother that that concocted the plan for him to be sold to the Midianites is the brother that stands up to Benjamin. Judah's speech covers 16 verses. It is the longest speech in the book of Genesis and is, as one author described, among the, the finest and most moving of all petitions in Holy Scripture. Judah reminds Joseph what they told him the first time. That they had another, they have a father. There's, there's 12 brothers. They have, a, they have a father back home. He's not well. He's still mourning about his brother or his son that he lost. And, and he tells them the story. They, they, he loves this son, Benjamin, the most. His father loves their little brother most of all. Judah tells Joseph that he cannot return home without the boy. He cannot tell his father that he lost another son. You be the man that go in and say that. He says he cannot do it. If he tells his father that he lost another son, he is sure to die for his life is bound up with the boy. Then in a most staggering request, Judah says, take me. I'm not leaving my brother. I'll be left. He said, look at verse 33. He says, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find him. The brothers have changed. They they abandoned and sold their brother Joseph, but they will not do it again. True repentance is more than a feeling. We're meant to see the actions. They're taken. Not because the, the actions of repentance earn, it, earn the forgiveness, but because the actions of repentance show the change of heart. It's the acid test. And that's what they see. It's more than feelings of guilt or shame. Joseph begins to see the change. Point three, Joseph turns from self-protection to compassion and forgiveness. Joseph turns from self-protection to compassion and forgiveness. In the final scene, Joseph reveals himself to the brother. He'd been carefully concealing himself. The brothers don't recognize him. It's underlined three times in the first visit. When he hears them talking about how they sold him and didn't listen to his cries, he turns away to hide. Again, when they all bow before him, he runs out of the room to hide. But when he hears Judah's plea, when he sees how his brothers have changed, when he sees how they loved their father and loved their little brother and refused to leave him behind, Joseph reveals himself. Look in verse 1, the, the language. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried out, make everyone go out. 
So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and all of the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph invites him to come near. Look in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. The last time they were this close to him, they were ripping off his robe. They were ganging up on him. Now they're gathered around him. This is the brother. He was dead and is alive. The brothers are reconciled. What's that mean? What's that all that's saying? The brothers are reconciled. Joseph comforts and assures them. He says, don't be distressed for God sent me before you. This is God's doing. God had a plan. It's not you who sent me. Three times he underlines, God did. God sent me. God sent me. You, you know, you threw me in the pit. You sold me. You got a little bit of money. But God sent me. The last image is staggering. Look at verse 14. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I told you peace ran, runs through this whole, uh, uh, the whole story of Joseph. Remember back in, in verse 37, they could not speak peacefully to him. But here they talk to him. They're reconciled to their brother. They have no animosity. They're speaking peacefully. Joseph tells them there's going to be five more years of famine. He tells them you've got to go back to Israel and bring your father here. and Bring all your clan here. We'll give you plenty of room to spread out. And that's what Pharaoh says too. Look in verse 25. They went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told them, Joseph is alive. Incidentally, the, the story of the prodigal son, this my son was dead and is now alive. It's pulling right from this story. It's meant to remind us of it. He's the ruler of all the land of Egypt, they said, and his heart became numb, for he did not believe it. You ever had good news that's so good you can't believe it? That's what happened right here. When they, when they told him all the words of Joseph, what he said to them, when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry them, the spirit of their father was revived. He says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What's that word? Joseph turns from self-protection to compassion and forgiveness. Now look, the, the, the forgiveness Joseph extended was not cheap. 
Joseph didn't just turn and forgive his brothers at first sight. We're called to commend or to forgive freely, but not foolishly. But after he makes sure they're sincerely repenting, he forgives them. He refuses the lie of unforgiveness. He, he does not get vengeance. He does not repay. He does not even keep them at arm's length. That's what we do. Yeah, I forgive you. Just stay over there. You know, he, does, he absorbs the cost. He eats the debt. He is his brother's keeper. Their brother is uh, there 24 time, or 28 times, I think, in this chapter, brother appears in Judah's speech. What, where do we see brother? Well, that very first Murder was a, a, a brother killing another brother. The Lord went to him and said, are you your brother's keeper? He said, where's your brother? He said, I'm not my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, who is the keeper of the brothers Joseph is? He's been laboring on their behalf. And so the forgiveness for his brothers is not cheap, but it's real. And the forgiveness that Joseph extends to his brothers is beyond our imagining. These brothers tore the rope. They tore the robe. They, they took a hold of him. They threw him in the pit. They refused his pleas for mercy. They sold him into the hands of godless men, all of which led to him living as a stranger and an alien and a prisoner in a strange land. Who can forgive all that? It's meant to remind us nothing, nothing less than the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. This is a most surprising and staggering story of reconciliation. But beloved, there is a greater story of reconciliation that should fill our hearts. Joseph, he brought peace with his brothers. Well, God brings peace with his enemies. That's the story. If you're outside of Christ, the truth of the gospel is if you've strayed, you have sinned, you have gone your own way, and the wrath of God remains on you. Romans 5 said, you are an enemy of God. And yet the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came to step in the place of enemies to endure the wrath that we deserve so that we might be completely forgiven. Riches and gold I cannot offer you, but I can offer you the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Scripture says, for he himself is our peace who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create himself one new man, so replacing two. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Blessed are those who have the good news of peace with God. That's what these verses remind us of. The forgiveness of God. The staggering and stunning. Talk about a plot twist. You were dead in trespasses and sins. God has made you alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. The most unlikely story. The story of Joseph is meant to lead us to another innocent sufferer. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who does not hold on to what he has. He doesn't count prerogatives of God as something to be held on to, but emptied himself and becomes the servant. Jesus is the true and better brother who does not tear off our cloak and give us what we deserve, but raises us from the pit and sets our feet on a rock. Jesus is the true and better Judah who does not just offer to give up his life, but lays it down. 
sacrifice himself, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who does not receive mercy in his time of need, but gives grace and mercy to us and ours. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who sent ahead to gather the lost into one people, Jews and Gentiles in the church of Jesus Christ. God has reconciled his enemies to himself. Well, in the episode of All Creatures Great and Small, Edward finally arrives. He and his mother, Miss Hall, are able to talk for several hours. With tears in her eyes, she tells him how sorry she was, how sorry she is for all that has happened to him and how much she loves him. He seems cold, like a lot of our relationships at times, reluctant to let his heart be broken again. But then at the last moment, as the train is rolling away and she's not so sure what he thinks, he says to her, I love you, Mom. Later that evening, She's back at the veterinary practice, and one of the vets says, did he show up? She said, yes. He says, how was it? She says, I don't know how to explain it, really. It were all too brief, over before I knew it, and yet the very ground beneath me feels like it's shifted. I feel lighter. <laughs> Beloved, if there's anything I would want you to feel today is lighter. The ground indeed has shifted. That you indeed have been transferred. You were the son that was dead. And God says he's alive. He's brought home. You were the son that was lost, is found. You're the son it was in darkness, but now I've been transferred into light. You're the son that was deserving of wrath, and yet now the son that, that, that just fills the Lord's heart with, with joy and delight. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who do not need to repent. That's the truth of the gospel. The ground beneath you should have shifted because the very bad news that hangs over your life is the wrath of God for the sins you deserve. And that's the very bad news that God has come in Jesus Christ to endure on your behalf. And then you should have fun forgiving people. Living at peace. It's a harder world. Does that mean everything, every relationship is going to work out right? No, it's not. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Sometimes the toothpaste doesn't go back in. <laughs> but don't go to heaven bitter because you might not go there. Don't go bitter. Strive to live at peace with everyone. Remembering God himself reconciled God reconciled himself to you while you were doing nothing but opposing him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. Father in heaven, we thank you. We rest in the unfathomable truth 
that you do not love us according to what we deserve. That you do not repay us according to our iniquities. That you do not keep a close distance because of our lashing out and anger and frustration and self-pity and all these things. But you love us freely, completely, joyfully, delightfully, and eternally in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we bow our knees before you. Because the story of Joseph reminds us of the good heart of the Son of God. Who, though he was rich, became poor. So that in our poverty, we might become rich. Thank you, God. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Walt Alexander, lead pastor of Trinity Grace Church in Athens, Tennessee. For more information about Trinity Grace, please visit us at trinitygraceathens.com.